Hi, this is uh, Ibubani's podcast. Um, I'm uh, Stepan Chizhov. Uh, I'm uh, currently in Versailles. Our guest is uh, Richard Minsky. He's uh, in Hudson, New York, uh, in United States. And uh, my co-host is Pavel Voronin. He joins us from Moscow as usual. And we continue our uh, discussion with uh, Richard Minsky uh, about his life, about his bindings, about uh, rights, about uh, politics and all that stuff. Sometimes it's a bit dark, but well, I guess there is some not hope, but fate and control of your fate. <laughs> so, well, let's proceed with, with this podcast. So would you take us for, for a short tour of your shop or? I could take you on a short How, how would it go? I can take you on a short tour of the shop. Yeah. Do you see what it is? I mean, you actually on in order to see it, but you're not going to be able to because we are not in a um, double stream here. But that's a, that's <laughs> yeah. a, a 3D picture. Um, and that is a self-portrait that I did in 2010, which is actually this self-portrait here, uh, turned into a 3D image. Mm -hmm. And that I was asked to do a self-portrait for an exhibition. Um, and what I did, I did that self-portrait but what I actually did was, as I went around, let me take this out so I can actually see this. Um, I started taking snapshots of it with my digital camera. You see that? Can you see that pencil drawing? Yeah. With a little bit of yeah. color on it. And then it gets a little more. So what I did was I took all the, that's, that painting I showed you, all of these are underneath it. These are all the different stages of that painting as I kept painting. So what I showed was, see, there's um, me, uh, I call that one going fishing with Vincent. And um, I, called this, I called this one um, uh, um, visiting with Piero. And I have, so I've got a whole bunch of different things in there. You know, I, I've got the Rembrandt, I've got the, um, you know, the Clint, I've got all the different versions of my self portrait that I kept painting over until I got to that one. And I um, issued this book as a limited edition. I exhibited the book of the stages of the painting in the exhibition instead of the painting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so let's see, here's my studio anyway. Okay, we're gonna go into my, oh, and you haven't seen my gallery even. A lot of work for, for future conservators as well with this painting. Of course, of course. So this is, this is, you know, I do all these books and catalogs and exhibitions in my little gallery here of American decorated publishers bindings. So I have lots of those and I've done, I do books about that. These are, these are books that, uh, that I published about the subject. Um, and uh, so the, there's, uh, so this is my mess. And, and also I do these, I do a whole series of, you know, I, split firewood. I split about three cords of firewood with an ax and a maul every year. I have lots of trees on the property. So I have never bought a stick of firewood, but I do these, I, I save some of them I, uh, for my future exhibition called Too Beautiful to Burn. Like so you split it open and you see something like this, you know? So I call that Adam and Eve. And so, so there's all these different things that are, so I have lots of uh, things that uh, I like things. So. But in the midst of all of this, uh, there's a, uh, a little guillotine. And, um, and uh, also, I'm, I'm starting to put together an exhibition 
of um, unfinished projects. Like you see, I, I haven't finished uh, that book uh, of uh, self-portraits. And, uh, and uh, when I was doing my Bill of Rights, we didn't talk about the Bill of Rights, you know, uh, the, I, which has been exhibited in many places, but I did this whole series, which some people call my uh, magnum opus of the Bill of Rights. It's a set of 10 bindings on books that represent the Bill of Rights. We can talk about that if you want, but neuromancy. I really want to, so, so I will hold you to a word. Okay, well, here's, when I was buying the, you know, I, I was gonna do 25 of them. That was before 2001. I started in 97, my Bill of Rights project. I had the exhibition at Mizell in 2002. Um, people got interested in it after the American Patriot started taking away all personal freedoms. But uh, it was about freedoms, you know, and but one of the, my fourth amendment, I had selected William Gibson's Neuromancer and when looking to buy 25 copies, I never ended up binding all of them because I left New York after 9-11, but, um, and I haven't had a real assistance since then. But anyway, I got this copy of Neuromancer. Now, can you see what this is? Oh, it's in, it's in Braille? It's in Braille. I got a Braille yeah. copy of Neuromancer. And you'll see when we talk about the uh, Bill of Rights, I'll show you the Neuromancer that I did, which had a, um, a network interface card uh, involved in the binding and, uh, and some other things. So what I got for this binding, uh, it's my plan on a, it's one of my many unfinished projects. Um, oh, there's a motherboard. That's a motherboard. That's, that's, that's some old motherboard. Yeah. That's an old motherboard. motherboard. I, I, I see ESA slots over there uh, or ISA slots. <laughs> yeah. So you see, it just happens to be the right size for this book. I got two yeah. of them that are different for volume one and volume two. So I think I just felt that was so perfect for a binding on Neuromancer for the blind, where the blind can feel the motherboard as a binding. Um, and uh, so the, uh, why a motherboard, of course, because nor in and why the Fourth Amendment, because it was in Neuromancer that the word cyberspace was coined. William Gibson's adventure takes place in cyberspace and in cyberspace is where Americans lost their Fourth Amendment rights. The Fourth Amendment protects the right to freedom from searches without a warrant. And we know that all our emails get searched, uh, warrant or not. And since we lost our first Fourth Amendment rights there, I thought Neuromancer would be the right book to bind for that. Uh, here are some, mm -hmm. here's just my, my book binding library here and, you know, all stuff. You know, most of these books, I guess. You probably know, you probably have all of these books, but you know. <laughs> Well, so at least some of them. <laughs> okay. Definitely not all of them. <laughs> okay. Here, here's my apron. It's my book arts apron, which I've been wearing this same one for about 30 years. Um, what do we have here is, uh, there's my uh, Kensol, my Kensol 36T. That's a beautiful machine, uh, pneumatic, you know. Mm -hmm. Um. And let's see, is a pairing machine. And let's see, of course, flat files, flat files, sewing frames, uh, nipping press. Uh, 
my my favorite things are, are these babies here. Oh yeah, these are beautiful. Two of these. I mean, this is you know my favorite in the world are these. I'm going to be selling one of these because, but um, but they're great. Yeah, these are percussion presses. Mm -hmm. And let's see what else we have. Here, uh, this is my binding of the Decameron. This is my uh, pandemic project. Was the Decameron? Let's see if I can see some light on How it. Appropriate. Yeah. And uh, this is the first full English translation from um, 1886. And this is the Japan paper edition, which is probably the first printing of it. And there's some questions about, uh, no, nobody, there's, it's, you can't find a Japan paper edition. So, um, uh, but it's no, there's no publisher listed in this, uh, this one, but it's got all of the um, uh, pictures. What do we got here? Is uh, this is what I'm working on today, which is a uh, with, with the Hetty Kyle structure that's now called a flag book. This is for a uh, wedding uh, album for a, uh, a couple that had an internet wedding. But one mostly the people who attended cards after the wedding. That um, uh, and the question was, how do you bind postcards? Uh, so that they are fun, you know, picture postcards of whoever they sent them from. Okay, and what else do we have? Here's my mess of, of a uh, shelf of everything. Uh, you know, here, this, you know, a, uh, here we go. This is Artie and Artie. Oh, here, here, this is, this will be interesting. Up, you see this uh, setup here of uh, French romances? I started yeah. this in 1971, and actually in 1970, I stopped it in 1971 when I went to France. Remember I was telling you how I went to France and with my fiddle, and I stopped binding, and I had gotten that far in, in doing the set. But I needed end papers for, do I have one here? Here, okay. So this is how I was binding them, right? Is this coming through okay, these images? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you see, it's a very simple, this was, you know, very straightforward book binding thing, right, that I was doing. And um, I had no interest in it anymore when I came back from France. So, but I had made these marbled papers, you know, for the covers of all of these. And I mm -hmm. needed marbled papers for my Decameron. And I thought, well, there's something about those that appealed to me. So I took that and I scanned it. And in Photoshop, I changed the colors a little bit. I made it symmetrical by mirroring it. And I made my mm -hmm. Cameron end papers from the end paper that I made 50 years ago. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's uh, stuff that's in the shop. There's another, you know, we talk about unfinished. So there's another unfinished thing. Oh, there, there's my plow, by the way, up there. And um, what else do we have? Always good to know the temperature and humidity. And uh, let's see. Oh, you got to have your. Um, uh, you can tell how old this is from how old the Talus label is. <laughs> Back in the days when they didn't have any warnings on them, right? Xylene, no war warning, flammable, right? That's the only warning on xylene. And similarly for toluene, you know, 
But uh, those are, were great to have. I got to use them last week. I mixed those two with acetone and uh, my uh, EGR valve, the uh, exhaust gas cycling valve, is, uh, was making the light go on my dashboard last week. So uh, I took the valve out and I pour, mixed those things together and poured them into the valve to like get rid of any carbon deposits. Not too much, you know, I used to use them when I was doing more book restoration and stuff. But this is what I use on book on leather bindings, Marnie's Conservation Leather Dressing. I don't know if you can mm -hmm. see the label or if it's too covered in leather dressing. I, I really want uh, uh, to talk to you about uh, the more political of, uh, of the things you, uh, you've done, uh, like your work with uh, an electric chair or your, uh, or, your, uh, or, or your works around the Bill of Rights. There, uh, what, whatever you uh, you feel comfortable to talk about, whatever you feel was the most important, maybe. Well, here's what we'll do. Uh, we can go back to. Um, you see, when you go down to the bottom, you see it says uh, books on social issues. If you click on that, I know this. It, to me, it's, it doesn't seem that hard to navigate the website, but that's because I wrote it. Well, you know it well, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, the political works pretty much start with the crisis of democracy in 1980. I mean, you know, to the extent that everything is political, I suppose, but um, the Trilateral Commission's book, I read that book, uh, which came out in 1975, but I didn't read it until about 1979 or so. And in that book, the, the authors, uh, Huntington, Crozier and Watanuki, say there's too much personal freedom in contemporary democracies. It's necessary to curtail personal freedoms in order to preserve the governability of democracies. Mm. I felt that my personal freedoms were curtailed enough and I wasn't looking forward to having them further curtailed. So I thought about what I should do with this. It was a um, uh, paperback. And I bound it in sheep, gold, and barbed wire. This was a continuation of that material meets metaphor that you'd seen in the Birds of North America and the Pettigrew's History of Egyptian Mummies. And the material, sheep, gold, and barbed wire, because they've got the gold, the people that are sheep, and the barbed wire keeps them from getting the gold. So it's very, you know, basic. But uh, what's interesting is I made it not unreadable. I'm still a book binder. I still try to make books. For the most part, that will be read. You'll see a, in a minute an example of one that you can't read. But um, you see that opens up. When you open it, it takes the springiness of the barbed wire and it becomes a reading stand. So you can use that to set the book up to read it. What you see over here is how the opening and closing over the years. This is when I, the book was new and I photographed it over here. Right, and I sold it to Alan Stone, and I bought it from Alan Stone, and then because uh, uh, my wife wanted it, and I got a divorce, and I bought it back from my wife. And then somebody else wanted it, and I bought it back from them, and then uh, eventually Yale bought it from me. So uh, this book was uh, had been around back, and in the, when I organized the show Book Arts in the USA, that the United States Information Agency traveled through um, Africa and Latin America in 1990 to 92, I didn't have any of my work in it. And they insisted that I put my own work in the exhibition. So this is what I put in the exhibition. 
because I thought it important in terms of freedom of speech that um, one of the things that uh, the show uh, was about was that I could make critical statements and it, you know, it had Sharon Gilbert's Poison America, how the government and uh, the corporations poison us and, you know, which was done on a Xerox machine and a sewing machine. You know, so I wanted it clear that political statements are inherent to book art and have been since uh, Martin Luther, if you don't, unless you want to go back to the uh, Plato, um, uh, you know, there's um, uh, political statements have always been important. There would not have been a renaissance uh, of thought without books uh, and printing. There would not have been an American Revolution or a French Revolution without books. So I, uh, the, uh, the ability of books to communicate ideas, in this case, the ability to communicate an idea when it's in a vitrine. And because uh, the thing about the books that I bind metaphorically, you can get another copy of the book if you want to read it and understand more depth. You can get this copy and read the very copy, you know, and hold it in your hands if you're not afraid of it. Anyway, so that's that. So that's a you know a work of political uh, book garden, uh, the the Bill of Rights edition. Well, we, we can come to that in a minute, but if we um, let me see what else was in this. Oh, I mentioned that 1988 exhibition at the Zabriskie Gallery in New York. Uh, it was all books on social and political themes. Uh, Aside from Minsky in bed, which I thought was a social and political theme, it included the geography of hunger, which is Josue de Castro's uh, 1952 book on world hunger. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the head of the food and agriculture organization uh, at the time. And in his book, he wrote that there were, every country in the world was capable of feeding its population, but because of uh, political reasons, there was starvation because that's how populations were kept under control. Um, these were my end papers for it. I went to the local bodega and I bought food with labels from countries that have starving people where we're eating their food. And Mighty Dog Dog Food, because our dogs eat better than many people in the world, and our old people eat dog food. Tragedy and Hope, A History of the World in Our Time was Carol Quigley's book on, um, it was a history book, but I had it open to the page that named the German industrial cartel members who became naturalized American citizens in the 1930s and sat on the boards of American corporations that provided military grade uh, vehicles and hardware to Hitler. And for this, uh, I, when I was in England, I was the US-UK Bicentennial Fellow in 1978-79 in visual art. And while I was in the UK for a year, I studied leather tanning at the National Leather Sellers Center in Northampton, England. Uh, and that's why I, I tanned uh, that's when I tanned the goat skin that I used and rat skins that I used for my binding of Patty Smith's Babel. I thought that was good for a punk book, but I also got into tanning. And so I went to my local butcher, uh, Pete Porcelli, when I had my studio on Bleecker Street. 
and Porcelli. They were butchers from when names were given out in the 11th century, the Porcelli. But, you know, they were the mafia butchers as well, you know, because they're in Little Italy. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the, on the Easter, they would have, and Christmas, they would have the whole lamb and the whole kid. And then they would skin it and, uh, you know, cut it up for the uh, customers. And I took a kid's skin. He would give me the skins. And because he was also my butcher, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, so this was a kid's skin that I turned into lampshade vellum. And I took the world map that was the uh, end papers of the book and glued it under the translucent vellum that I dyed this kind of blood, dry blood color. And on the world map, I glued swastikas. I don't know if you can see them in this picture, but there are swastikas made out of American money glued on the world map in appropriate places. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I thought uh, dollars turned into swastikas on a lampshade vellum was appropriate for uh, that book. This is a box I made for it when uh, later on. But uh, so that's uh, another political book. Uh, well, then that was in the Zabriskie show. These are all books that were in the Zabriskie show in 88. Uh, Missile Envy was Helen Caldicott's a book on, there's the installation, I did it with these rockets, painted the flesh of the colors of the penises of the uh, nuclear powers. And, uh, and there's kind of the book. I, to do this, I went and studied the Piero della Francesca, uh, I think that's not a clear picture, uh, icons in the um, Frick Museum. They have these great Piero della Francesca's there, one of my favorite artists. But I made these icons with the gold leaf and you see they've both got their missiles. One is longer, one is fatter. But uh, this was the advert, this cover was the advertisement in art forum for the exhibition. Um, and Helen Caldicott, the Australian anti-nuclear activist pediatrician who wrote the book, sent me a very nice letter saying the covers exactly represented the thesis of her text, which is about the sexuality of the uh, missile race. Yeah. And uh, Laying Waste is another one that was, this is also in the Zabriskie show. This is Michael Brown's book on the um, poisoning of America by toxic chemicals, by government and corporations. Uh, he's the one who exposed the Love Canal. I don't know if you know, know about Love Canal. That was one of the first uh, uh, toxic waste sites to be uh, um, exposed. But so this was his book, Laying Waste, about that. But I, in this case, I extended the meaning of the book by adding my own toxic lacquer thinner labels because we also poison ourselves. We're not just poisoned by the government and the corporations. There's the, the hypodermic needle. Uh, these are crack caps from the crack vials from one day's sweeping of my Bleecker Street studio. And because that's the crack dealers were outside. And, um, you know, in the condom, it's all. Uh, but what, what I did with this is I also had this displayed in a big box when they, uh, with a nuclear waste symbol on it. And when you pressed a button, the light dimmed and went out. And when the light, as the light went out, you saw my second binding, which was painted in phosphorescent paint of the death's head in the rivers of radioactive waste. So it was kind of like two bindings in one. And also in the Zabriskie show was Holy Terror, 
I did three books called Holy Terror. This was the first of them. And the one that was in that show. And this was Flo Conway and Jim Siegelman's book. They brought their art director to the opening of the exhibition. And they said, this is the way we want our books to look in the store, which, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the, the televangelists were, were making a lot of headlines and still do for their sexcapades and for their not exactly being real Christians in their views. So in this, uh, this is probably the first foil stamped photograph in leather done with, uh, I, I used, um, I turned this into a line halftone, like a TV screen and stamped this in a white metal foil into calfskin in, and that's inlaid into the gold TV set surrounded by hellfire with Jesus on the cross on top of the TV. But there's me as the preacher and Joni Mae, my former apprentice as the supplicant doing whatever she's doing and with the American flag in the background. And that's, that's holy terror. And uh, this, is, this was not in the show. This was uh, one I because I found another book called Holy Terror uh, by Amir Tahiri called Inside the Work of Islamic Terrorism. And I thought, well, what is behind it? And I said, well, it's a closed way of thinking. And how is that represented in Islamic art and bookbinding? I said, there's no empty spaces. It's even more so than the horror vacui of Victorian binding. So it's a binding with no, because there's no space for any other thought. And that's what the basis of the terrorism is. That, um, uh, you know, and it's, it, it goes into, uh, you know, that. And, and it's similar to the 15th century. And there are some, oh, this is one I had uh, also uh, did that was not in that show, but I did around the same time. Uh, Gordon Rattray Taylor's book, The Biological Time Bomb, is about genetic engineering and the dangers of it, which we're just beginning to face now. And what I did for that is I real that's real life explosives and a timer and um, you know and batteries. Uh, and this for an exhibition inside this envelope on the top is the table of contents. So when it's in a vitrine, people can see what the entire contents of the book are about so that they could relate the uh, binding to the content. So how do you store and transport uh, a book like that in the modern world? Well, the, you, you just put it in the mail, you know, you pack it really well and, uh, you know, hope for the best. Oh, you know, um, uh, well, I saw a collector um, in South Africa, who you may know, has got a big collection there, wanted, the um, trilateral commission book, The Crisis of Democracy with the barbed wire, but I had already sold it to Yale. And so I did one for him with razor ribbon, which would be the later equivalent of that. You know, there's the stuff that goes on top of prisons and stuff. And that one, boy, I tried to touch that one. And I made that one in goat skin instead of sheep because it had gotten much worse, the situation. So you needed a tougher skin. And uh, so it was, um, anyway. Uh, uh, Larry Sullivan, uh, who was the chief librarian to John Jay College of Criminal Justice, commissioned me to do a binding of uh, his book, Forlorn Hope. He had been a prison librarian before he became the chief librarian at uh, John Jay, and he had a big collection of prison books and prison art. And uh, so he had written this book on the prison reform movement and asked me to bind it. He came to a lecture I gave, he came up at the end of the lecture and said, hi, I want you to buy my book. He was at that time, the chief of rare books at the Library of Congress when he commissioned this. 
So I painted out his book with prison stripes and stamped its number on, you know, giving it a number and take away its name, you know that. And so I did that for it and I um, padlocked it to a little prison cell I made. That was unique, but I used that concept for my Bill of Rights edition later on. But um, I did 1984 and 2003, that was later. You asked about this one. Now, 1980, but this is before there was an iPhone and before people were used to seeing themselves on a screen. This is 2003, the 100th anniversary of Eric Arthur Blair's death, uh, birth. Eric Arthur Blair wrote as George Orwell. That was his pen name. He wrote 1984. So I got a hold of one of those miniature screens like they would put in the back of car seats and I on a spy camera which is hidden behind the grain of the faux alligator and so when you hold the book in your hand you see yourself on the screen it was very shocking at the time but once people got used to holding an iPhone or in their hand it, it lost that power but anyway you asked about the electric chair that was 2009 um really what happened there is I got a uh, uh, email from Mary Carol Hackett, who's a teacher at uh, Longwood University in Virginia. And uh, a, someone she had been working with uh, had um, come up with a concept when he was at the Center for Book Arts with her of doing an exhibition of having 10 book artists put together with 10 poets and uh, see what they came up with, with their poetry. So uh, she said, would I do that? You know, and they gave a little bit of money for the, you know, to do that with, uh, and they wouldn't own the work, but they just gave you some money to, you know, take some time to do it. And so I said, sure, that sounds great. They, they sent me a PDF with 10 poets works. I don't know anything, you know, particularly about poetry. I don't know what to do. So I just forgot about it. I said, let everybody else choose and, you know, when, when they get back and say, what are you doing? If, by then everybody will have chosen and there'll be something that nobody else wanted to do. And I would do that. I figured that's a good way to, it's back to the divine creator will tell me what to do. Well, <laughs> the divine creator told everybody else not to do this because it was Lucy Brock Roydo's work, which I called three poems of love and death. There were three poems. The first was about going to the morgue to identify Liam Rector's body. Liam Rector, had blown himself up with a shotgun, um, left his body on his apartment floor. Um, well, um, Liam Rector was the poet who had gone to the Center for Book Arts with Mary Carol Hackett and come up with the concept of this exhibition and had, was a friend of Lucy Brock Broido, who was the head of the Columbia University um, and a Harvard uh, poetry projects. So, one was her love poem to, about his body in the morgue. The second poem was about getting a phone call from a young man in Flanders who had a shotgun in his mouth. Um, and she told him to take it out because she couldn't understand what he was saying. But, um, and the third one was about an electrocution. So I said, well, here we go. I can see why nobody else wanted this, but I'm fine with death. You know, I've seen the corpses of those I've loved, uh, too many of them. And, you know, uh, uh, so I'm, uh, I'm okay with death. death. Death lives here, you know? 
And so I'm very friendly with my own death and with death in general. So uh, I looked at this and I really looked at them as love poems, you know, so I had no horror about any of the material. And, but what I did was I said, well, what is this? We've got people dying with a shotgun with an electric chair. So I put those poems and I printed a little edition of, I think five copies, uh, 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 probably tells you down here. Uh, anyway, copy number one, I did limp bindings on the copy. I gave one to her, she gave that to the widow of Liam Rector. And I was one went to Longwood and, and the likes of that. You know, they all went to somewhere. And I sold this one that I bound in a chain binding chained to the electric chair with a lot of blank pages so that you could write in the rest of the book your own poems or thoughts about death or those you loved. And I made an electric chair. Remember I told you I did Rita's theater when I was in college. So I was trained how to do oral interpretation. So I did my reading of her poems and recorded them and put them on this little device that plays them, that played through headphones in this headset that is the one that electrocutes you because it's also connected to a powerful automotive battery with um, a transformer that raises it to 400 volts or 4,000 volts, I forget the number, um, that's on the side, mounted to the side of the chair and all the straps to strap you in everywhere. And see there's an electrode that goes to your leg and another one that goes to your head. So you have the current running through. Then in the back of it, I added the hangman's noose, the shotgun, the wakazashi sword for the harakiri, the pills, the razor blades, you know, the poison. And I called it freedom of choice. So because you have a choice of how you go. So this was acquired by the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, that same Larry Sullivan who had left the Library of Congress and become the chief librarian at John Jay. And it is now in the special collections, which they are now in the process of, it was supposed to open just last um, May, of not this year, of last year, it was supposed to open their new special collections gallery and the whole thing was put on hold due to COVID. So now they're planning on opening it next year or something like that. And this is gonna be a centerpiece of the gallery because he felt that this would make people come into the special collections gallery. Well, hopefully. Once again, you will help people uh, come to, to, to an event or an, an, an exhibition. Okay, anyone can, anyone can come to that. So that's, you <laughs> asked about the electric chair and uh, I don't know other things. Well, I don't know if they, I, I call this political and social. My favorite book, and Pavel, you've probably read it, is uh, Charles McKay's uh, Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, which of course in America, we are so facing the uh, anti-vaxxers and the Trumpies and all of that. But you know, in his book, he had the Mississippi bubble, the tulip bubble, and all of the, uh, the, the inquisition. And he was the first real sociologist who talked about crap like that. And I'd always wanted to do a binding on that. So for 30 years, I saved all my old credit cards because I thought there is the great illusion of uh, you know, the last century, which is credit and madness. And what that is, and in particular, especially at the time I did this, 2012, the United States credit 
the treasury bonds was all being bought by China. And that was what was supporting the United States credit economy, and so as far as I know, still does. Well, so I bound, I made a little shrine of credit cards for the book, and I backed the shrine. I see the little Chinese currency in there, and you know, the I mean, money itself is is madness. I mean, there's many levels of the metaphor involved in this, but when you when you open up the uh, shrine. There is the uh, definitive edition of the book, two volumes bound was one, and it has the original bookbinder's ticket in it from, uh, and that, that's a wonderful thing about that from when it was bound in the 1850s. But, um, and then I took the uh, 1960s reprint and I bound that in the credit cards as well. And there you see inside all the Chinese money. What's holding this all together, the credit cards, is they are all glued to Chinese money. So if you look inside that, all you see is the Chinese. So the, the credit is all being held together by Chinese money. It's another material meets metaphor kind of uh, thing. And of course, you notice that uh, picture of the Chinese treasury looks exactly like the United States treasury on the back of our $10 bill. So that's another kind of, uh, and you, saw, you already saw those things. And my chain, Democracy in Chains, Nancy, another chain binding, Nancy McLean's, uh, the deep history of the radical right stealth plan for America. That's, that's, it was more recent, that was 2019. But um, it all came down, I guess, at the end of the last century to uh, the Bill of Rights. Uh, and when I first did, this, this was stolen. If you ever see this one, um, report it, because that was stolen. Uh, Alan Stone bought it, but he lent it to an exhibition and it never came back and the gallery went out of business and nobody was able to be found. And, um, but this was my original reliquary for the ashes of Salman Rushdie's Satanic Verses, my first amendment, because with the publication of Satanic Verses, he lost the four rights that Americans take for granted, the four freedoms, the freedom of press, the freedom of religion, the freedom of assembly, and the freedom of speech because the fatwa was issued by the Ayatollah on him and he couldn't be in public anywhere without someone trying to claim the $2 million for his head. So uh, this was a book burning kit. It came with the book, The Incense and the Matches. And uh, you know, with this Islamic pattern I did in gold and silver leaf and the book shaped spine for the back and all that, I just thought it was a very bookish kind of thing. And I also did a second amendment piece on the right to bear arms uh, the day before they made it illegal to buy assault weapons in 97, I bought a Mac 90 semi-automatic assault rifle, uh, which I still have. And now it's registered. Since then, they've made laws where you have to register it. So this is registered weapon. And at the time, I also had, which I don't have anymore, the 70-round uh, drum magazine, the 40-round banana clips, and a box with 1,000 rounds of Russian ammunition for it and um, government surplus, you know, by that time, right? So, um, uh, and then these are books, are books about the American militia movement that grew up after Ruby Ridge and Waco. Do you know about Ruby Ridge and Waco? No. Ruby Ridge was a guy who had a sort off shotgun, which is illegal to have. He was surrounded by the ATF and the FBI and they killed his wife. And uh, uh, it was a, a big, uh, gun freedom thing at the time was uh, Ruby Ridge. And Waco was in Texas where there was a cult 
that was surrounded and they had their guns and the uh, ATF and the FBI came and burned down, burned them down. Waco was a big, big news item. And these were very both trigger events for the American militia movement. At the time uh, I bound this, uh, there were 400 or so anti-government racists, and these were, uh, these were militias. 400 of them were founded by neo-Nazi groups and the like. So they were racist, anti-Semitic militia groups. So the, I bound seven books about them, uh, Rise of America's New Militias, Unintended Consequences, which is a gun culture novel, American Militias Rebellion, seven books about the militia movement. And um, what I did was I, um, I went to the shooting range and I took pictures. Well, in this case, Gathering Storm was by Morris Dees, who was the uh, chief lawyer and main honcho of the Southern Poverty Law Center that documented hate groups. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I made him uh, as the target. And, uh, and I went to the shooting range, just one a shot with a 22 at 100 yards. And I got pretty good at this. And uh, so he was, so I made him, because he was a target of bombings and stuff like that uh, for his activities. And so if you look at each of these, there's something about the, um, this one I shot right, and I, on all of them, I put quotes from the book in gold on the covers. I always loved gold lettering on books as, you know, as a book binder. And so all of these were gold, and I shot right through them. In this case, you know, I had uh, Muhammad Ali and Steven Spielberg representing the race and religion that these militias were against. Uh, here I used the uh, Mac 90. Mac 90 is not that, uh, and that was only at 50 yards, but it's not a very accurate weapon. It's a semi-automatic, so you shoot real fast. So if you miss on one, you'll hit with another. So they're all like that, where they have, you know, I'm going down to a shooting range, putting these pictures up there and shooting them. So that, you know, I had my own trepidations about what it took to do all this. But uh, anyway, so there is the, um, so that's, that was my second amendment piece. That was unique. I've subsequently taken that apart. Now I use the cabinet. So I've made that snakeskin cabinet myself, by the way. I thought snakeskin was appropriate for that. And uh, then I told you about, so then I just, once that was stolen, my first amendment, I, originally I was gonna do one, of each of the amendments and then put it together for like a museum exhibition or a gallery exhibition. But once that was stolen, I realized that I better make a whole set and they shouldn't be separated. So I made a whole set and that was the Bill of Rights limited edition set, which I was gonna do 25 copies of, but ended up doing nine before I left after 9-11, I, I moved in, two, in 2002, I moved upstate to where I am now talking to you from near Hudson, New York. And, um, you know, I saw the World Trade Center, you know, that was down, you know, I was not that far in Bleecker Street. And I, I wrote a whole thing on Facebook, you may have seen it uh, on, on September 11th uh, about my experience that day, that week. But uh, anyway, so I did the whole Bill of Rights as a set and uh, you can read the review in the New York Times. It's online. Uh, I, they, 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 did, they gave me a big six column wide review. And, uh, you know, that was nice. But um, because nobody wanted to have anything to do with my, I started this in 97, 98, 99, 2000. Nobody was interested in it. You know, I was doing this thing. I was you know, promoting it to the extent that I could with my website. 
Nobody had any interest. 2001, in 2001, the United States, the USA Patriot Act, you know, was came restricting personal freedoms. All of a sudden, there was a lot of interest in what I had to say about personal freedoms. And that's how I got my show at the Louis Mizell Gallery on Prince Street in Soho was um, because all of a sudden, and that's why I got, I would not have had a New York Times, uh, you know, six column review or any review, you know, I mean, book art, but you know, book art, you know, I mean, so that when you talk about book binding and book art, this is book binding, but it's, you know, and it's book art and, you know, so, what I did in this case, instead of making a book burning kit, I burned the books. This was on January 1st of 2001. I, this is all, remember, this is before September 11th. I was already doing this. I burned this on 1101. I thought that was a good day to do a book burning. I mean, that's, there's another story about that, but uh, I'll tell you that story. It was because it's so stupid. You know, I, I had a fireplace and I had a back door. And, uh, and it was snow outside. And I said, well, how am I going to burn this book so that, you know, it doesn't get waterlogged and it's good. And I had, a, I, I got a wire basket to burn it in, you know, and I set the book on fire and I went outside and I put it, I let it burn. And I went out back and I put it down in the snow. There was like this much snow on the ground and I put it down in the snow and the snow quenched the fire right away and the book didn't get wet. So it was perfect. And I, you know, it was, it was in the morning. I'm at home. I did this. I'm in my pajamas. You know, I said, I just go outside for a minute and do that. The door closed behind me and I hadn't taken the lock off it. So I was out back <laughs> in like a foot and a half of snow um, in my pajamas with this burned book. You know, so I had to like go around front and ring the doorbell to, you know, to, it was anyway. Um, but, but this, this is what takes this. You know, you ask about mistakes, you know. <laughs> I did not make that one three times in a row. <laughs> but, um, anyway, so then I, I decided to go Islamic. And I made a whole page about this so you can see details of it. There it was burning in the fireplace. See, I put it in the fireplace to burn. And I took it out with tongs, you know. And, um, and then I built this uh, reliquary for it. And I, this is inkjet printed with then gold leaf added. And, you know, I... So I built and then a gold uh, information about the, uh, you know, the first the text of the, each one of them has the text of the First Amendment. And here you see it with the nice curse. So it's a box, it's a book shaped box, but done as a reliquary with a modern interpretation of Islamic design, which I, I've got a very nice letter from a, uh, an artist in Turkey uh, uh, about that as modern Islamic design. I was appreciative of someone who actually did that, uh, understanding that. Anyway. So there was that, right? So that was my, that was the first amendment. And, but by the time I, anyway, I got, I had gotten five of them finished and maybe another three or so mostly finished by the time I moved. I had an assistant working on it. I had the assistant pack all my stuff up when I was moving here. I left half my stuff on Bleecker Street. I just did not want to even, I took two truckloads of stuff, moved it upstate and everything else I just abandoned uh, on Bleecker Street for the uh, landlord. Because my landlady had sold the building. Fortunately, the uh, I wanted to get out. I had a lease, but the new landlord wanted me out and to turn it into like a retail store and you know make money on, you know the new kind of neighborhood it was becoming. So I said, look, I'll get out, but you give me this much money and I'll get out, which was enough to build my bindery that you now see here. And 
I said, and I'm just gonna leave whatever I want there and you can get a dumpster and get rid of it. And they said, okay, because anything to get me out of there because I was paying $618.50 after 30 years there. You know, uh, you know I, mean, I think I mentioned I was paying $312 in 1974. So the rent had essentially doubled in 30 years, which did not work by 2002 uh, landlord, uh, you know, uh, uh, anyway. So and for, for the uh, Morris D's book, which I used for the, I bound it in camouflage leather in a camouflage, uh, you know, cause all, they were using camo for all of these militias. But I, I decided to go differently with the target. And I also went back to my Piero della Francesca fantasies and I gave him the saintly halo. So he's simultaneously a saint in the target. I thought that represented him better. And, uh, and then for the third amendment, that was my second or the third amendment seven days oh seven days in may it's very interesting nobody on nobody remembers it did you ever see the movie or read the book seven days in may do you know what that is no nope. great nope. great great movie one of the best really uh the film script was a rod serling uh screenplay and you know from the twilight zone and it was phenomenally done but in this book the chairman of the this is during like the kennedy era i know we had a liberal who was not very anti-Russia and uh, the military was opposed to him. And in this book, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff kidnaps the president you know, and wants to take over uh, and you know, restore a, a sense of, of power. Well, the Third Amendment, I chose that because the Third Amendment is something really interesting in the United States Constitution. It had to do with what the British did during the Revolutionary War. It prevents, here's what it says, no soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house with the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, except in a manner be prescribed by law. Okay, what does that mean? You can't quarter a soldier's, well, the British took over private houses to put their soldiers in during the American Revolution. So they didn't want this to happen again. But I just thought it was very interesting that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who is a the chief soldier, wanted to occupy the chief civilian house, which was the White House. So I chose that. Now, what was interesting this past week, Millie, you, I don't know if you've been following this, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States during the Trump administration, and still is, it turns out, was going around telling all the other soldiers if Trump tells them to start a war with China, come to him first. And then he was talking to his Chinese counterpart saying, no, we're not going to start a war with you. He was essentially taking civilian authority secretly in a military way, which reminded me of Seven Days in May. It's the first thing that reminded me of that since that movie came out. And the book, the book was about 1964 or whatever it was. Uh, anyway, um, anyway, this is what we were talking about before. William Gibson's Neuromancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've read Neuromancer? Yeah. Either, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, you may recall that he's always after these ninja throwing stars. It's one of those things that he likes. So I use the ninja throwing star. And you may remember that his girlfriend had tight leather pants. So I used a limp leather using like, you know, pants leather uh, binding with a ninja throwing star. And remember, he's after a pink box in cyberspace. So I made the box or a slipcase in this case for it, uh, pink lacquer. And in it is this network interface that, you know, to jack, because that's how we jack into the internet or didn't at the time, you know, at that time. 
So that's, uh, that was my binding on Neuromancer, but in for the, um, okay, so there you see it. And now you see what I did for the Fourth Amendment. Here you can read it, depending on the light, but it's stamped <laughs> hologram foil. So it disappears into a digital morass of non-information when the light strikes it in a certain way. So you get to have the Fourth Amendment appear and disappear in the foil stamping on the box. And uh, this is another crazy one. Um, I'm not gonna, you, you know, people can read it themselves. And there's a- I really like, I really like this one. Could you, could you talk about the Sixth Amendment? The, the run of his life, the people versus OJ Simpson by Jeffrey Tubin. You know, he was the writer who in uh, the New Yorker wrote at the time of the trial, OJ Simpson is going to play the race card because it's the only card he's got. And you remember what eventually got him out was if the glove don't fit, you got to acquit. And they had him try on the glove, which had been soaked in blood. And when it was soaked in blood, of course, the leather shrank it. And they had it, his lawyer insisted that he put on a rubber glove, you know, uh, a surgical glove underneath it so he wouldn't be touching it. And between the shrinking of the leather and the surgical glove, it was too tight to get all the way down his hand because it was a tight fitting glove to start out with, right? It was, you know, a, a glove you could choke someone with. So now you remember the whole O.J. Simpson thing in the solicitor. So the, he wrote a book about the O.J. Simpson trial. So I thought that really was a good representation for the Sixth Amendment, which is you shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury. And well, speedy and public, I don't know about speedy, but it sure was the most public trial that had been in a long, long time. Mm. So th that's why I selected that. And, you know, it was obvious, you know, the, again, uh, the bloody glove was the obvious thing to uh, use in the binding. But I also made for the uh, end paper, the race card, which is uh, in this case. Okay, so there you see the race card that I for the end paper. That's OJ Simpson as the king of spades. That's a racist card, if anything. You know, that's extreme race card because spade was a term used for black people. Uh, and the days when I was going up, uh, that was uh, not a, uh, everybody, see, when I grew up, it wasn't in the days of the millennials. Everybody used racial and religious epithets at each other all the time. And uh, there was nothing like trigger warnings and uh, uh, or anything like that. Everybody was so, uh, so this was OJ as the king of spades. He's wearing a, an African king's hat. Instead of carrying a sword, he's got a bloody knife. So this is the race card which may also be the racist card, because there's also the question was, was it really racism? Was Mark Furman, you know, the, um, the cop, was he framing Simpson because he was black? Was it a racist thing? Was it framed? So this brings up all the notions about racism in this card as the end paper. Anyway, that's the Sixth Amendment. The Seventh Amendment is on the, the right to go to court with a, um, Anything over $20, you can have a public trial on if there's a dispute. And I, I bound it in my own version of a $20 bill, 
um, which I put Madison uh, on uh, instead of Jackson, and because um, he was the father of the Constitution. And I don't know if there's a, there's a close up. You see Richard Minsky, Audits the United States instead of the Treasurer. And then I have the Seventh Amendment text as part of that bill, you know, instead of having it separately. And the, the slipcase for it, which is in fake gold, the same way as it's in fake money, it has a fake gold spine. And um, that, that's, uh, that's fake gold uh, with fake gold to, uh, stamping or fake silver stamping on it. And this is a page from the New York Law Journal from a random day. Uh, any day you'd find 20 broadside pages listing lawsuits in New York because this book is about uh, what happened when America unleashed the lawsuit. And uh, uh, Walter Olson also came to the opening of this uh, exhibition. He was another fan of the, uh, how he likes his book, Ben. This was the version, I did, I did a new version of the Larry Sullivan book for the Eighth Amendment, but I couldn't find 25 copies. I couldn't even find five copies of the book for, you know, to buy, because I wanted to buy 25 copies of everything before I started. Well, that's how I made an edition of 25. I still got 18 or whatever it is, copies of, of, of all these books somewhere, uh, if, the, if the mice haven't eaten them yet. So I went to Larry, I said, can I reprint your book? for my bill of rights. He said, yes, if you give me 70 copies or whatever he said uh, that I can distribute, uh, 75, I think, whatever it was, I printed hundred, I think, and um, gave him, cause he wanted to send them to the people who had gotten his, probably, you know, his original edition because he wrote an additional chapter for my little limited edition of his book on how all the prison reforms he wrote about during the 1990s had reversed and chain gangs came back, prison libraries were closed, striped uniforms came back, prison population increased with the privatization of prisons. So he added a new chapter to his existing book. So this book is different than the other one in that it has the new chapter that I agreed to publish. I was thrilled to publish. Uh, so this became a new publication. And there, here you see that. Uh, with the chain. In this case, I printed uh, on canvas the uh, prison stripes, you know, because I didn't have a book to paint over, of course, I was a new binding. And um, there's, there it is in the cell, and there it is with the cell open and, and like that. But um, and the Ninth Amendment, well, the Ninth Amendment just said, the enumeration of the Constitution of rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights that the people have. Well, that meant that just because it doesn't isn't there, if there's a right that you have, you still got it. There are common law rights, you know, because we essentially came from uh, the Magna Carta and common law and stuff like that. But I said, well, what's a law that people feel they have that's not enumerated? And I said, the right to privacy. And Ellen Alderman and Caroline Kennedy, who knows more about the right to privacy than Caroline Kennedy, whose father was assassinated, President Kennedy, and whose uncle was assassinated, Robert Kennedy. And, you know, uh, and she became a constitutional lawyer. Uh, so that's what, what, you know, that's what she chose to write about. And so, but I also said, who else knows more? Princess Diana, there's her privacy, which is the headlines of tabloids that led to her death as she was chased by the paparazzi down that tunnel. And then for the 10th amendment, which is about states rights, I didn't know what to do. But fortunately, on July 31st of 2001, I got, it came to me. I, I mean, I, I issued it, I should say, it came to me 
the day that it was issued, which was December 12th of the year 2000, I downloaded the initial Supreme Court decision in Bush versus Gore, in which George Bush mm -hmm. won mm -hmm. the election by getting the Supreme Court to take away the rights of the state of Florida's Supreme Court that had said that the recount needed to go through, which would have given Gore the election. And the Supreme Court said no. And that gave George Bush W the election. And so I downloaded that. It didn't even have a lot of, a lot of it had blanks where there had to be citations filled in. And I printed that as a PDF on 100% cotton fiber paper. And I bound it like a law book, you know, with the red and black labels, except that in the law books, the red labels are on top and the black labels are on the bottom. And I put the label and I did, you, you'll see that the labels is a little bit crooked. Everything's a little bit crooked on it. So I have everything's just a little bit off uh, on this binding. So it kind of looks like a law book, but if you really are someone who has bound law books, you know that things are backwards and uh, it's tilted a little bit to the right. See, it's tilted a little bit to the right there. So, um, you know, that was my binding for the 10th amendment. Anyway, that was, uh, uh, the Bill of Rights, and now I can undo the screen share. I think if there's anything else anybody wants to know, they can just go to Minsky.com. And uh, there's, uh, you know, I showed maybe 20 of the 700 pages that are there. There's all kinds of stuff you don't want to know about that website. That's, that's, exactly, that's exactly the problem I faced when uh, I, I followed your uh, advice or recommendation to check your website and, and choose some things we are going to discuss uh, uh, today during this recording. And I, I, I started doing that and then I realized uh, it's just an impossible job uh, to do it in just, you know, a couple of days uh, or, or maybe even a couple of weeks. It was a, it was a joke. That's why when you wrote that you that, that I should you, that, that you weren't going to do that. And I just put a, a laughing a laughing face with a tear as a response on Facebook to you because I, I, that that did not surprise me in the least. No, it's uh, you know it's really uh, a crazy. This website is a crazy thing, and uh, but you know if you if you try and do it methodically, you'll um, fail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Thank you so much. This is Thanks. such such a positive uh, note and such a positive moment to finish our well three hour record. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that's the world we live in, and uh, uh, I guess that's how it is. Keep, ma keep making things. Uh, I, I, this is my takeaway from uh, from this. Whatever, whatever the horrors around you, keep making. Things. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> you are an inspiration. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, uh, Richard, for this talk. It was uh, quite how how do I say inspiring in some ways and just depressing in some other ways in some other moments but yeah like like a roller coaster well well but well that's life and uh, i also wanted to say thanks to you for supporting us on patreon everybody should support you on patreon it's uh, it's very important that you can afford to do this yeah yeah thanks th thanks a lot for that and i should say that's uh, all the money that comes from Patreon goes to editing of this video. So uh, that's 
Not like we are profiting from that. <laughs> Even more, we have to add our own, own money to, to do all this uh, stuff with, uh, with our project. Uh, so if you, if you like what we do and uh, you are considered helping us in any way, please check the link below in the description. Pledges start with only $1, one euro, one pound, depending on where you live. Or if you have more money, start with $100 or 1,000. Uh, they really uh, are doing <laughs> good things with it. And if you have the money, there are very few places you are going to put it. Uh, and they'll do something special for you if you do that. That's absolutely true. We'll, we'll find some way to, you know, get even. And uh, thanks to all of our watchers, uh, viewers. Uh, thanks to members of our community. You can uh, see these the future videos uh, on our YouTube channel. And you can uh, listen to this podcast on our SoundCloud account and our podcasting platforms. You will find all the links below. Uh, you'll find links to the objects, to the pages describing the objects we talked about and to Richard's website uh, uh, in the description as well. And uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.